Welcome back to another episode of Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypothesualized times of ours. Welcome back, everybody. This is the final episode about chapters. This is the last chapter about chapters, and this is all about Europe. We have a young man from Lithuania named Andronik, who we actually had a wonderful conversation about his life, about growing up, being born in Armenia, and and being and escaping Armenia on a on a donkey. Not really. You'll get that joke in a few minutes. Um, but also, he gives a deep account of what it was like to be desolate, to be alone, um, to not be comfortable in his own skin, and how he bounced out of that, found himself in a lovely blessing, and is now working to create High Noon Europe. So everybody, please welcome our bro, Andronic. That is right. We are back again. And we have the final chapter of this chapter series. And it's with Europe. So like Sammy and I said, we didn't really know what to expect with this whole finding a chapter leader in Europe. We had our concepts, but then this dark horse showed up and and started running wild in our life. And we couldn't say no to him. He was just too perfect. His name is Andy, a.k.a. Andronic. And he has a last name, the type of last name that you only let him pronounce because you're going to screw it up if you try. <laughs> so first of all, welcome, Andronic. And how do you say your last name properly? Hi, hi, everyone. Uh, so my last name is Armenian, <laughs> which is quite unusual, I guess, but it's Karagezian. I felt so hard. Okay. Well, People joke around that it's like Kardashian, but... I really don't like that joke. <laughs> <laughs> you can restore it. How about that? <laughs> um, and where were you born? Lithuania? No, I was born in Armenia. Uh, well, there yeah, you go. 1999, <laughs> back when Armenia was really, uh, really like a third world country. <laughs> uh, but we moved out, and all of my life I lived in Lithuania, basically. Is your dad from Armenia? Yep. yep. My dad's from Armenia. My mother is from Lithuania. Okay. And then just, it was not that much fun to be there for your parents, so they bolted? Went somewhere a little bit nicer? Yeah. Um, Armenia in the 90s after the Soviet Union was not a fun place to be at. Um, there wasn't really any work, any food, <laughs> anything really so it was the only logical conclusion to jump ships um and then travel travel all the way uh by land to <laughs> um yeah and there's plenty of stories with that i i kind of was imported not very legally uh um with basically no documentation or anything but those were the times i guess uh, wild east europe back in the day <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but you made it. It sounds like a little bit like your Jesus. That sounds like how he started. 
Did your parents travel by donkey from Armenia to Lithuania? Thankfully not, um, but by some shady trains, yeah. Wow. Cool. And then, so you've been in Lithuania ever since you were one, something like that? Yeah, exactly. And so with Melissa, I kind of went chronologically a little bit all over the place. And so um, I want to first know what you were thinking and for you to explain to everybody, like what you were thinking when you saw the job post, because we just kind of threw it out there and we didn't know what to expect. Some of our jobs, because we were hiring for a few different positions, chapter leaders and then program coordinator, marketing, and some jobs got a huge amount of response, others didn't. And so we didn't know what to expect. So how did you find out about this job post and why did you apply? Mm. I actually saw um, a promotional post, I think on, on Instagram for a different job. Uh, it was for program coordinator, I think, or one of those that you just mentioned. Sure. Uh, and that led me on to just visiting the website um, and, and checking all the job postings. And at that point, I think there were only two. And this this job was the other one. And it wasn't so much advertised, or at least I didn't see it anywhere. But I saw it. I thought, whoa. <laughs> um, something, I don't know how to describe it, but there was this kind of click inside. Like, oh, this is probably important. I, I've, I haven't had many of these kinds of moments in my life. Um, one significant one was uh, when meeting my wife for the first time, but this one was this kind of moment where I saw it. I've been thinking all year, actually, um, about a need in me to switch up my life a little bit. Um, kind of felt very stuck in my job. Uh, and I was graduating studies, my bachelor's studies this year, and I didn't know really where am I going with it all. Mm. Uh, I knew that I don't really want to pursue a political career uh, or or in that regard, like anything related to policy analysis or I don't know what else political scientists do. Uh, I've tried myself out a lot in that field and I didn't really feel <laughs> attracted by that. Um, but like on the side, I was uh, kind of, I'm always somehow inside of a movement. I, I organize workshops and uh, I find myself in the action of serving our community in one way or another. And all year I've been thinking about that the fact that somehow I'm naturally pulled to this, but I just can't seem to find that opportunity to finally do it um, more substantially. I've talked to a few people about it that this year I'm kind of in the search for something new, uh, for a way to yeah, serve our community more. Um, and maybe in the broader sense, do something more meaningful for the world in general. Seeing this, I felt uh, this job post, I felt like, um, <laughs> if this is not it, then I don't really know what else can be. Uh, at the time, really, there was nothing else flowing around, especially in Europe. So, uh, and in between, um, applying for the job, I was also at a workshop that I was organ organizing and basically in the evenings of the workshop, I was filling out the application 
day by day, just slowly adding points, constantly discussing with my wife, but everything felt very natural about it. My wife was very supportive. My uh, parents, whose opinion is really important to me, were also very supportive. So, yeah. And what did you think, like what compelled you to the role? Like you want to give back to the movement, but was there anything specific about High Noon? Um, is there anything that compelled you specifically, like that you would, that you kind of really wanted it, or was it just kind of throwing something out and seeing what sticks, kind of thing? Mm, I think there's something specific about High Noon for sure. Uh, we met right in in um, April or what was it May? Uh, April, I think, uh, for one of the. Uh, high noon tours uh, in Budapest and I got to meet you guys again and kind of see again uh, you are actually like you guys in action um, I've had a couple people after that uh, meeting uh, come up to me and we talked and, and I see how meaningful your work is in people's lives and I had that same thing happen to me uh, when I was 17, when we first met in Korea. <laughs> and um, I just feel like what you guys are doing are, is, is real. Um, it's real and it's really impacting people's lives. Um, it, it, it impacted my life, very especially. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I'm... Of course, I'm young and I'm kind of searching for things searching for myself but one thing I know for sure about me is that I don't want to live my life kind of surface level I want to do meaningful things and I always want to serve the community uh, our, our wider community in general um, and whether that's like I do multiple things for that and I have multiple skills that say that I constantly try to offer um, but it all goes back to that time when we first met uh, in Korea where uh, you know, after you guys worked on me a little bit I, uh, and and gave me perspective, I remember I, I, I made the decision back then when I was 17, like, okay, what these guys did to me opened me up, kind of liberate me from, from my own cage. I want to keep doing that for others. And somehow it all went full circle now to joining you guys. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, first of all, you keep on saying you guys. You're a you guys now. You're a we guys now. <laughs> um, and then secondly, obviously it keeps on coming up, so I'd love for you if you can share um, about that time and what, what exactly happened because um, it's obviously something that left a, a mark on you. So mm. let's get into it. What, what are you talking about? What are you alluding to? <laughs> Yeah, well, we met on Global Top Gun. Um, it's like a 21-day program. Um, I didn't really know what to expect there. We had very little knowledge about what's the program, actually. We were just going. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, for me, it was a very special time. It was my first time in Korea, uh, first time in Chongpyong, and um, I kind of took that time very seriously. I thought this somehow will be probably a very transformative experience. From the very first day, <laughs> uh, I, I did many conditions and many kind of, I kind of offered myself a lot 
on that uh, workshop. And uh, to give some context, uh, I was coming in there with lots of things on my shoulders, um, not just on my shoulders, like really things blocking me. Um, in my past, I kind of made some really poor, poor decisions <laughs> in terms of my purity. Uh, I've dabbled in uh, relationships and yeah, it kind of left a lot of scars um, and kind of left me very limited in my ability to express myself, uh, to be myself, to be, to identify as a child of God in general. And at that time, I was just one year into rebuilding myself, um, coming back from some, yeah, building some really big, deep shadows, trying to kind of disperse them all. Um, and let me tell you, I mean, <laughs> that experience, High Noon, it really uh, kind of fast-tracked that. <laughs> um, so I remember there was that one very defining moment where I don't remember who it was exactly, but someone on stage kind of spoke in a way that made me feel like, oh, these are the guys that'll understand me. These are the first people that I can really talk to. Uh, and I felt like, I need to. So I did. Um, and I had some one-on-one. -on -one. And I remember then, whoever that person was, uh, they suggested a very wild idea. Uh, they heard my story, and they heard what I'm going through at the moment of rebuilding. And they thought, you know what? For my next lecture, uh, I'm going to have this topic of kind of uh, restoration or kind of rebuilding and that there's kind of hope for everyone. I feel like your story is perfect for that. Would you like to come on stage and, and share it with everyone? <laughs> um, and at that point, I had not shared with anyone, except for my parents, really, but anyone else. Um, and the question wasn't like, would you like to share in front of 20 people or something? No, it was 400 people. Uh, so I had that whole point where okay like this movie moment where I gotta do it but can I <laughs> uh, but I kind of quickly decided yeah I can and it was on the same day that I did I, I shared my story in front of these 400 people and it was very scary and I felt like I sunk to the very bottom <laughs> in that moment um, but to my surprise the outcome of that was nothing that I could have expected I started getting all kinds of post-it notes, messages, people coming up, people in the elevator, just suddenly talking with me and just everyone sharing that they really loved it, that it opened up the way for them to be honest and to share and to reach a new level of vulnerability. I kept getting these post-it notes uh, by my sleeping bag or whatever I chose to sleep, like uh, some anonymous, some with names. Uh, it was really nothing that I could have expected and from then on I thought wow me just opening up and sharing opens up the way for others then I guess I can't stop <laughs> I gotta continue um, mm. and that's what I've been trying to do um, ever since um, like I mentioned I, I organize workshops uh, with my wife here in Europe We're, they're kind of central east Europe based um, 
Yeah, and we, and we constantly are trying to just help people um, mm. break out, break out of their cages, their shadows, feel accepted, um, feel loved. Yeah. That's incredible. I didn't know that about the kind of outpouring of appreciation. And that's, I mean, that's such a, an important point is it's almost symmetrical in nature that the extent to which you are brave and kind of just showing who you really are is the extent to which the response where everybody wants to show you who they are. I mean, it's unbelievable that, you know, a little bit of bravery in, in it, right? How you probably gave a testimony that was about three to five minutes, right? Something like that. And it took every amount of, you know, courage that you had, muster up that strength to speak. You speak for three to five minutes, and yet that can give people enough fuel to change the trajectory of their life. And that's incredible. So kudos to you for making that step. And you got to also reap those rewards. So that, so were you like addicted to, to the Heinen living after that or... uh what well, what was your what was your road since then? Like, have you, like, since then you got blessed, right? Um, did that kind of open things up in that respect for the blessing? Like, were you hopeful for the blessing before that, or were you a little bit worried, or what were you? Um, uh, definitely, I was very worried, and I was at, at some points in this internal state of feeling like. Uh, for the blessing, if I can, may receive something, anything that would be incredible because I'm not really worth anything. Uh, I didn't feel like I have much to offer for myself. And this was very painful because there's this, always we kind of learn that the blessing is much more first about what you can offer. Um, and, and feeling that you don't have anything inside to offer the very Ooh. very trash feeling <laughs> uh it gets so kind of makes can, you feel yeah. can you just unpack that a little bit because that's something that i i give that talk a lot but i would love to touch on that emotion a little bit more of what does it feel like to be you're obviously a good guy right you're you're not a murderer you're not you know you're not you're a good dude but yet internally you feel like you have nothing to give what what's going on in your mind what kind of thoughts would allow you to feel such such um i don't know such lonely miserable feelings well um for me specifically it was the sense that i really misused love i really misused someone someone else's heart i kind of committed crimes i think that are on par with that level of, of some of the worst um, they can imagine. Uh, and, you know, and that was when I was like 16. And then from then on, all the way up until I was maybe 20, 20 years old, I've been still battling and kind of constantly reminiscing about this fact that probably I'll, I'm not sure if there's anything I can do to really make up for, first of all, really misusing someone else's heart, um, mistreating someone so terribly, and then also putting myself in that place where kind of I took something that is really important, my own heart, my own purity, and just 
carried it away. I just gave it away so easily. Um, I felt like I knew everything that I needed to know to avoid these things. And yet I still did. And that's probably the worst thing about it. There's no, no excuse. So I felt that um, ultimately like I just made a terrible mistake, um, which I was fully responsible for. And then how can that be excused? Like who could forgive me even? Um, when I started, when I came back to the movement and kind of came back to to God, I think to 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 faith, to life. I for a very long time struggled with. Uh, okay, I can try as much as I can, but this stain is still in in my past, and 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 who can really ever forgive it? So I guess this actually even connected to me not really being able to forgive myself. <laughs> uh, I'm not. This was a re like a later real realization that uh, wh whether someone else forgives me or not is not really up to me. Uh, but I think really what was what it was really down to was not me not being able to forgive myself. Sure. Uh, so. <clears throat> yeah. Well. So. That's where I, a lot of people find themselves. Everybody at some point, right? But for sure in this era. Really good people often find themselves feeling really bad because of something that they did. Um, and so you were in this place where you felt unworthy of the blessing. And then um, you <laughs> went in front of 400 people and talked about your shame. And then what was the road from that point on in, until... Like you got blessed. So like, what was that journey like? How did you go from misery to somehow having the courage to speak in front of a bunch of people to then working on yourself to the point where you can go to the blessing? What did that look like? What were you doing? Like what kind of work were you doing on yourself? Uh, I think I just, in this morning, I had this conversation with my wife um, about conditions. <laughs> Uh, and the fact that maybe some conditions we do ourselves and we decide well, some actions that we want to make but there is a whole other aspect of God guiding us in ways that we can't understand sometimes even and that we really can make sense of only after that, after the fact after it's happened so I think it's a combination of these two I think there's definitely things I did personally but then I feel that it would be unfair if I didn't mention that there was a huge force behind me constantly guiding me. So on the things that I did myself, um, service, I, I truly believe that um, service is the backbone of character building and um, of kind of, of personal development in general. Uh, so and it, it wasn't only in our community. Um our community, let's say in Lithuania, is quite small and quite young. So there maybe aren't that many opportunities to serve here, but I found them in school. Uh, I found them in university. I found them in, in many places uh, to serve and to help others. Uh, and in our community uh, as well, I, I 
constantly joined workshops and went around and um I'd had that mentality of just kind of helping people, um, helping others. Um, as much as you help others overcome things, you kind of overcome those things together with them. I don't know if that makes sense, right? But but I, yeah. ever since I was like 17, I started sharing faith as well with others, and that built up my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shared this kind of siblinghood love with others, with yeah. all kinds of people. And that kind of love came back to me. Mm-hmm. I think these are very important points. Um, and, and I practiced them sometimes consciously. Sometimes the opportunities to practice it just came and, um, and I couldn't attribute it only to my efforts. Yeah. But, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really healthy perspective. Um, first of all, service that's what a lot of people don't understand about sexual integrity is that they think that they can just join a program, recover, and then leave. And some people do, but I think they missed the main point is that the more that you serve other people, the more that you just learn so much about yourself. And it's so invaluable, you know, like High Noon has saved all of our staff and our marriages and all that because we can see ourselves in other people. We can, you know, when we're having our time loving ourselves, we can see how frustrating it is when we're trying to show somebody love and they won't receive it. So we're like, oh, that's what I'm doing. But also we can see when we're participating in dangerous behavior or wrong thinking when when we're counseling or mentoring or brothering somebody else. So it does save you in so many ways because of that feedback loop that you're talking about. You're, that reciprocity of, of uh, sibling love that is really missing in so many of our lives, like actively practicing being a good brother constantly or a sister, right? So I like that. But then also acknowledging that there's something always much bigger than it's not this is not a psychological exercise alone. This is this is a deep spiritual practice that we're part of. So yeah, I like that. And so you were serving people. Yeah, like you said, you've always been active putting on workshops and stuff like that. But at what point did you feel like you're not a piece of crap anymore and you could actually deserve the blessing because you ended up with a very beautiful, caring wife. So like, uh, how did you receive such a such a gift? How did you get to that place where you could even entertain that idea? Um, I think uh, I, I know that there was a defining moment in, uh, was somehow, um, I was around 19. I was just starting university. I remember I watched some kind of movie and I can't remember the, the title of it for the life of me right now, but Fight Club. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but it it was just uh there was this point in that movie of this main character who like kind of lied quite badly to someone and, and kind of mistreated someone very badly. And they were trying to regain this person's trust again. And there was this pivotal moment where this person already did everything they could and the other person still couldn't accept them. So they said something like, well, I can be sorry, but that's really all I can be, you know, and sincerely, but I can't do much else um, and I can't forgive, you know, for you. Uh, something like that. And that really left a mark on me. Uh, I was um, then on that same week traveling to a blessing preparation workshop and I was contemplating this a lot. 
um, on that workshop, then uh, I <laughs> I went to uh, Moscow of all places. <laughs> so that was a very interesting place to go to uh, for a blessing work- preparation workshop. Uh, um, Moscow was very different. Let's say uh, that community is very different than like the or Western Europe. Yeah. I met very interesting people there. Um, but through this kind of contemplating, and I went with my dad. We just drove by car, and we had lots of time to talk things over. And, and, and yeah, he helped me put myself into perspective as well. Then I decided, okay, uh, maybe enough with this self-critical kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, it's time to get a bit more serious. Uh, it's time to build up my offering. Um, whatever it is, it, it will be something. Uh, and whether some future person accepts it or not, that's already not up to me. Uh, so... Um, I made some concrete steps. I made some concrete plans uh, for the future. Then I, uh, one big part of that was uh, I decided that I have to join some kind of missionary program or like training program. And at the time, there was SDF in Europe. So it was kind of the natural course for me. Um, I took a gap year from uni and, and I went on SDF. Uh, we agreed with my parents that um, this program is my last step preparation um past that i want to start preparing with them uh start you know conditions and 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 kind of initiate the matching say process with them mm-hmm. sdf ended half a year earlier than it was supposed to <laughs> uh thanks to the pandemic <laughs> so i did have that funny moment of coming back uh, on, in March and kind of a week after coming back, coming to a parent and saying, well, it ended, uh, the program ended. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, remember that agreement we had? And they told me, no, <laughs> uh, they told me, nope, too soon. You were supposed to come back in like January or not January, uh, July, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> no, but, um, and, and with my, my wife, Sandra, um, we actually met previously already uh, before I went on STF. Uh, we kind of met for the first time on a Chumbo workshop in Poland. Very accidentally, uh, I came in there a bit late and, and all the seats were taken, but I saw some two seats empty in the like front rows. So I went, I sat down there. Um, I saw this uh, very pretty lady singing on stage. <laughs> I thought, wow, what a beautiful voice. Um, that, okay, that's kind of all. I was just sitting around waiting for the program to start, and then suddenly this lady sat down next to me. <laughs> um, uh, and that's kind of how we first met. Uh, we, we became very good friends. Um, it connected very easily since we were both first um, oldest siblings in our families. We both were serving our communities. We both were kind of on the same wavelength, so we connected very easily. Um, but yeah, but there isn't plenty of stories. Tell after that. But it sounds like you just went on a very intentional path to rebuild your faith, to rebuild yourself into a person that could deserve to handle love, right? So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so you got blessed happily ever after. Then you got a job at high noon. 
And so what, what, <clears throat> what are you looking forward to? Like we, we're about to meet very soon uh, about the next, you know, three months, next, next little bit. But in terms of your role with High Noon, um, what are you excited to build? What are you excited to kind of create? You know, you have kind, you have somewhat of a blank canvas. It's pretty empty. There's, you have your palette. There's, you know, ingredients, but it's up to you to kind of create. So, what, what are you starting to envision in terms of uh, the future of High Noon in Europe? Uh, uh, yeah. How do I put this in a way that doesn't sound? Oh, just like Kingdom of God. <laughs> No, um, I think personally, I'm very concerned about the state of our youth um, in Europe. Mm. Uh, we definitely do have this like issue, let's say, in our community that past, like once someone kind of graduates from HARP, like that kind of high school, uh, they, yeah, from high school basically. Uh, once the workshops end for their for that kind of youth age. A lot of people disappear. A lot of people just kind of poof, <laughs> uh, are gone, and that's very concerning. Um, I remember with my wife, we had this very uh, scary conversation once of uh, where are our our children growing up? In what kind of community are they growing up? Who's around them? And we had that thought of, ooh. Uh, we're not really sure. So, <clears throat> I think it's no secret, right, that the reason why a lot of people disappear um, is not only because there's no workshops, right? There's no workshops for me, but somehow I'm here. Um, but that there's very deep issues, deep problems that each person is facing in their lives. Um whether I mean more broadly speaking, whether it's just lack of love or kind of lack of connection or lack of mm, feeling wanted within that European community, there's plenty of things that I've come across personally in working with young people here. Um, there's of course the, the, those issues of sexual integrity, of purity in general. Pornography is damn scary and a really terrible thing that has a grasp of so many of our young people yeah um and and maybe per like personally I, I just have experience with guys with boys um since i've been working more with them um i know personally from my own past what kind of hell it is to live in that um, in that cage where you kind of you want to be something but you constantly can't because either pornography either um, some kind of other addictions or, or things are holding you back they're making you feel all these things that we just talked about of like unworthy of love uh, unable to forgive yourself, like all these things are constantly happening in people's lives and they're just kind of trapped in their cages. Um, and once the workshops end, they just quietly disappear. Um, I 
want people to come back and I want people to feel that they're welcome here. And I want people to feel that they're loved and that there is a beautiful future for them. If I could make it, and I'm so sure that anyone can. Um, so with High Noon, joining High Noon, I just want to do that as much as possible. Mm, whether that's workshops and online programs or I'm not sure where this next year will take me, but um, but with this team and with God's guidance, I hope to revitalize <laughs> uh, our youth and and kind of help them shine in their most brightest and beautiful colors uh, that they say so often keep um, kind of trapped inside. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Definitely possible. Definitely on the table. That's that's more and more what I'm realizing is it is a massive demographic that we naturally attract, which are people who don't necessarily fit fit into the you know, perfect member status because they they feel bad about themselves or they feel distant or whatever and we're we're a place that allows people to kind of like a car repair shop, you know, to get them going and put them back on the road and get them nice and nice and healthy. So um, that's definitely on the table, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure you're going to do a great job at that, <clears throat> creating that atmosphere, that environment for healing. Right. Um, you're a very organized person <laughs> and you have a big heart. So. You know, God can work. So that's really cool. I like that vision a lot. <clears throat> and um, are you nervous about anything about this, about this role? I haven't really talked to you about that. Are you are you crapping your pants at all? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Little crap? Um, little crap? Uh, sometimes bigger ones, sometimes smaller ones. Um, <laughs> uh, for sure, it's kind of... Although a lot of people do know High Noon in Europe, it's not like it's just falling out of the sky here. No. Uh, but at the same time, I do feel a little bit of this, like I'm starting something fresh, something new. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> my my deepest desire is for High Noon's presence to be constant and physical, you know, so that people have constant interaction with High Noon, that, that it's available. It's not just only a website, but that, there's people that are associated with with Pinyin that people can reach, that people can talk with, that um, that people can trust and know, um, meet on a regular basis. Yeah, so all these things that I mean, I've I've done these kind of kickstarted things in the past, but much smaller scale. <laughs> uh, in my high school, I started a club, uh, uh, my own kind of public speaking in the base club and that was really fresh and new for the time uh then in university i i kick-started a photography club and each thing i did i kind of did from nothing and i had to assemble my own team and and um and figure out the structures and systems and how it all interacts with all the other um say institutions around but um yeah so this feels to me a little bit like that but much more international, much bigger scale. So I'm a little bit 
I'm nervous about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But also looking forward to that. Uh, I feel like it'll take me places that I probably can't even imagine right now. But I'm excited for that. So, Yeah, it's going to be amazing, India. I'll tell you that much. If you stick around long enough to watch, watch God work, he'll work in big ways because... Uh, it's really the time, like there's a hunger for it. There's a hunger for just being happy. You know, I think people have experimented with so many different variations of misery. They're just tired, you know, uh, we know what crappiness feels like uh, and the many flavors of terror, but, uh, I think people are just really tired. They need it. They want a home. So it's a great time. So thank you for joining the fold my bro and um do you have any last words do you want to do you want to like call anybody out do you want to like draw the line in the sand and call satan out like uh you probably i don't know if you guys watch wrestling in europe but back in the day wrestlers used to always be i'm calling you out hogan i'm gonna beat you down oh, <laughs> do you want to uh you know, hey mom, if you're listening. <laughs> um, no, but I, I for sure know that my my wife Sandra is listening. She's really excited for this. So, <laughs> hey Sandra, love you. <laughs> um, Adorable. <laughs> yeah, but um, look out, Europe! I'm calling. <laughs> so, yeah, let's get it. Yeah, I love it. I love it, man. Um, but we're so excited. We, um. You, we have all the chapter leaders now on the podcast, and uh, just so that you all know, this is strategic. These people and the places are all something far greater than we could have designed. And not only are they going to be powerful as independent chapters and units, but they are. We're starting to weave something really powerful together and we don't exactly know what but we will keep you updated and you're going to start seeing their faces more Andronic and Melissa and Jude are all going to be participating in the fall challenge which is coming up in October join us and I'm sure they're going to be on the podcast more often and you'll just be seeing more and more of them so um, please welcome them Andronic at highnoon.org Andronic at highnoon.org. I gave out Melissa's email too. Um, all these people are here for you and we're all a team. So uh, give him some love. He obviously likes that. He mentioned it. He liked it. <laughs> if, it'd be kind of creepy if you put a post-it note next to his pillow because it means that you broke into his house. But maybe you just sent an email. Okay. So yeah, thank you Andronic for stopping by and definitely having me back on. Maybe I'll have like all of you guys on at the same time. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. I still haven't met the other people. Um, we are looking yeah. forward to that. We're moving so fast, we've barely met them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, nice having you. And uh, we'll see you sometime soon. Yep. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy.